This podcast is offered to you by Zen Center North Shore on the web at www.zencenternorthshore.org. This program is made possible by donations from listeners like you. someone else longer than me to get settled. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> okay, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you for being here. Uh, okay, so this morning, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about Kazan Jokin, Ancestor Kazan. And the impetus for this is we have never spoken of Kazan in this Sangha. To this day, over 11 years, we've never mentioned Kazan's name, except when we were chanting the Dayo Shows. Do you remember that? Did you ever chant the Dayo Shows? Kazan Jokin Dayo Show. The fourth generation um, of Dogen school. So it goes, Ehi Dogen Dayo Show, Konejo Dayo Show, Tetsugi Kai Dayo Show, Kazan Jokin Dayo Show. And so, um, and the reason for bringing him up today is because a week from tomorrow, on the 17th, Monday, we have a guest speaker coming, Taiga Ito, Reverend Taiga Ito, who's a Japanese Soto Zen priest, um, who's with the uh, Soto Shu, the Soto School. I think he's based in San Francisco, maybe LA, California. And so he's with sort of the Soto Zen establishment, the hierarchy, the Japanese school, um, kind of administrators, <laughs> kind of uh, their job, I mean, I don't know how they would define it. it. It's the Soto Zen Education Foundation or Center, and I've interacted with a lot of Japanese priests over the years, some living at San Francisco Zen Center, Daigaku, was part of this, was one of the administrators for a while. So not just Japanese, but also Americans. Galen Godwin out of Houston is also part now of um, kind of holding the responsibility of, uh, I think it's accountability in a way, and it's, it's a warm kind of accountability. Um, how are we doing? Not just how are we doing, you know, being watched, but more how, it's like I, I feel the trust and the confidence and, and the interest and the curiosity of Japanese Soto Zen priests watching what's happening in this country and in other countries too. How is uh, 
Zen, the Buddha Dharma, is expressed through the Zen school. Flowering, how is it expressing itself? This is one reason that I'm a Zen priest, that I devoted myself to this particular school, this particular practice, this particular lineage, because there's so much trust and confidence here in Buddha nature. Not just individual, but institutional, communal, maybe I'll say communal. <laughs> but uh, Kazan is, uh, you know, a, um, a representative of institutional Soto Zen. And so um, I'm really excited about sharing with you a little bit about this human being, Kazan Jokin. Daiosho, who, um, so he lived from 1268 to 1325. And so Taiga-san, next Monday, will be speaking on the 700th anniversary of Kizan and his impact and his importance within this lineage and the warmth that we have for him. There was a moment during service where I was returning from the altar after um, offering incense, and I just felt, as a woman priest, as a sweaty woman priest, <laughs> this is bringing back such fond memories of, of um, practicing at St. Andrew's Church, <laughs> that sweltering music room that was our zendo for two years. Um, the moment was, as a woman, just feeling so much gratitude to Kazan and Ananda and my own teachers who not only supported but believed in, almost needed women in the lineage. It's just feeling that. I'm feeling their encouragement this morning personally. So Kazan, um, He's sort of, uh, he is considered to be maybe second in terms of, I don't know, familiarity, recognition, most revered to Dogen. We talk about Dogen a lot here. We're reading Dogen's texts. We just chanted one of Dogen's texts, one of his texts, uh, the Ehe Goso Hotsuganmon. The Ehe is in Ehe Dogen. That's after Dogen Zenji. Dogen was the one who wrote the Ehe Koso Hotsuganmon. And I consider it his great ode to faith. Faith as, as it's expressed in the Zen school. Anyway, so Kazan is considered like right up there with Dogen, maybe a little bit after him. Kazan is the first to share Soto pra practice with a wide audience. So, this is the interesting point for me and that I want to kind of talk a little bit more about. Dogen was known for being very specific, you know, certain standards of excellence. And we invoke him every single time we offer service. Um, our great, what is it, our, the founder of Japan, our great ancestor in Japan, Ehe Dogen Daiosho, I can't remember how we say it. Our founder in Japan, we have a founder in China, Bodhidharma, 
the original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha, the first woman ancestor, Acharya, uh, Mahapajapati, and, um, and then our founder in America, Shunryu Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi, who founded San Francisco Zen Center. So Kazan's not mentioned. He wasn't, he's not considered in the school as the founder of Soto Zen, firmly establishing it in Japan. Dogen is. And so, and I personally feel that has a lot to do with Dogen's kind of rabid exclusivity, uh, kind of extreme specificity around forms. And he wrote, you know, the Yehe Shingi is how to do every single moment of your life in a Zen monastery, <laughs> how to hold your hands, how to use the toilet, how to cut carrots, how to shave your head. Very specific. And without that, I'm not sure, I don't believe we would have something centuries later to find refuge in. However, if it were just up to that, if that were what, what was maintained, if that was what were maintained anyway, if that was simply what was continued, that kind of exclusivity and extreme you know, standards of excellence, neither would it be true. I don't feel that we would still have this practice today. We'd burn out, I think, on excellence. <laughs> so along comes Kazan, four, four generations later, who opened it up to women, to lay people, and Dogen trained women. It's not that he was misogynist or anything. He, he had women who were training with him, and he actually trained lay people, Genjo Koan, which we're studying this practice period on Thursday nights, was written by Dogen for lay practitioners. It's just, Kazan went for it. He just kind of burst it open wide. And his temple, Sojiji, as opposed to Eheji, Dogen's temple, his monastery, these two are considered the primary training temples in Japan to this day. And I haven't been to Sojiji, I haven't been to Eheji, so I, I can't personally talk about the feeling there. But what I can say is that um, Keizan, one of the texts that he wrote was the Denko Roku, the transmission of light, which is precisely the stories of the warm hand to warm hand transmission of the teachings of the Buddha Dharma, as expressed from teacher to student, and then that student became the teacher expressed to their student. And um, this question of transmission and succession can be fraught. I really appreciate how Thomas Clearly um, talks about this. Thomas Clearly, one of the commentators and translators, basically of the 90s, a lot of things he was, he was very active in the 90s. We don't talk about it as much now, but he talks about transmission and succession, so-called teacher to student, as mutual recognition of awakened minds. I think this is a wonderful expression of the horizontal. There is the vertical, you know, hierarchy, teachers, you know, 
um, forms and ceremonies that are learned and carried on. And then there is also this mutual awakening that's confirmed within relationship. Uh, so that's quality that's really uh, highlighted in the transmission of light in uh, Kazan's writings. So Kazan also, in the transmission of light, acknowledges the degeneration of the Soto school <laughs> in his time. And this is really important too, that kind of fearlessness, that kind of courage of naming where the problems are. It's just like in our zazen posture. You know, if we're feeling pain somewhere, is it something to be ashamed of? Especially if you've been sitting for a while. I went around and did some, some kind of postural um, check-in <laughs> today with some of you with whom I've been practicing for a while. So I just, I feel like maybe it's okay for me to do that. So if you're newer, I didn't necessarily do that. But you can let me or let someone know here if you're up for that kind of touch. I see this as the same thing. It's just continually being in truth, being in the reality of how is it going in our very posture. And then in our organizational posture, how is it going? And so this transmission of light was kind of a, you know, a massive institutional check-in in a way where Kazan attacks, according to Cleary, the monastic elitism of his time, as well as sectarianism, formalism, <laughs> and sexism. That these things are not in keeping with the true spirit of the Buddha Dharma. And Kazan calls these things attachment to forms. This is very interesting to be talking about this after our racial justice retreat yesterday, our spiritual retreat we had yesterday right here for racial justice beloveds, for those committed to the path of awakening on the cushion, in conversation, on the streets and so-called protest or affirmation of humanity, affirmation of unity, but no shortcut to that unity slogging through the complexity of difference, multiplicity, and holding that complexity with beginner's mind and beginner's heart. So it's very, it was, I was very happy yesterday. Nikki, I go like this because she was sitting right here. Um, Nikki, who's a leader here, she's a BIPOC leader, she's African-American shared afterwards that she felt seen and loved and she hoped everybody else did too. And I realized that I also felt that, seen and loved. Um, so, and, and it's, it's very interesting as a Zen priest trained in all these forms, <laughs> you know, to not fall into formalism, to not fall into um, thinking we know something, and it's an edge for me. It's an edge for me of not, you know, of holding something specific from which to engage in this inquiry of racial justice without 
becoming too much of the teacher here, you know, also, also being a human being. Like, I don't know. What I do know is that, you know, the color red, <laughs> wearing the color red, my, this deep commitment to never giving up on that inquiry and finding ways to express how that's not different from this inquiry on the cushion. How is it not different? So back to Kazan. So he's considered kind of a populist, a move away from the cloistered monasticism of Dogen toward a more popular religion that appeals, that appealed to all levels of Japanese society. So without regard to race, although I think in Japan at that time it was pretty specifically Japanese. Um, gender, I don't know how much they were involved with gender identity and sexual orientation, but we could extrapolate <laughs> forward. Um, because this is an ongoing refinement of a conversation of what is it? What is this? What is this self? Uh, and then also very, very poignantly, beautifully, Kazan was raised by his grandmother for the first eight years of his life. And grandmotherly mind is most valued. And in fact, even Dogen, even Dogen on his deathbed, um, so I said, it goes Dogen, Ejo, Gikai, and then Kazan. On his deathbed, Gikai was sitting with him. And Dogen said to him, you've been a marvelous practitioner. You've been a wonderful practitioner, a wonderful monk. And I'm sorry to say, you do not yet have grandmotherly mind. And for that reason, you're not my successor. And Ajo was his successor instead. But then Gikai was the one, just like 15 years or so after Dogen died, who received um, Kazan and, and trained Kazan when he was just 13 years old. And I'm sure Kazan <coughs> Gikan had this in his heart, what Dogen had said, and was able to welcome this young, this boy, and train him. So these, these transmission stories, they're just, they're so, it's our life and our relationships with each other. So Kazan, for the first eight years of his life, his grandmother raised him because his mother was an abbess of a Soto Zen temple. Um, I think it's called Sojuji, not sure, something like that. Um, <clears throat> And so early on, Kazan had this very close um, relationship with women and admiration and respect for women. And, um, and also because of this, both his grandmother and his mother um, were um, forefronted kanon in their teachings, in their, in, their, in their way of being, the bodhisattva of compassion. So age eight, um, is when, uh, oh, actually, excuse me, at age eight was when Kazan went to Eheji under Gikan. So he was practicing with Gikan from age eight until he was ordained by Ajo at age 13. So very, very young, practicing with Gikan. 
And actually, this is interesting to me too from the point of view of way-seeking mind talks. Really getting, getting into the specific conventional ways we've suffered as human beings as we enter kind of maybe more the absolute realm <laughs> of zazen, of undifferentiated unity as we're sitting together. That's what it may look like to new people, but any of us knows who's sitting on the cushion that we're, we're in our conventional mess. But being held by these kind of, what I might say, absolute forms, meaning we ask everybody to do the same thing, no matter what you're feeling, no matter how much of a hot mess you feel that you are, put your damn pants on the cosmic mudra, <laughs> okay? Hold the world right here. Open up to the whole cosmos, no matter how much you're suffering. Lengthen your spine. Breathe. Be Buddha. And so these way-seeking minds are, the, are particular stories of how we came to practice. Kazan, you might say, was the first Zen master who wrote down his own way-seeking mind talk. He's the first one who wrote his own autobiography, his autobiography, the first Japanese Zen monk to do so. And um, later on, in recognizing Keizan, I think it was in the 60s, there was a, an abbot of one of the training monasteries, maybe it was A.H.E., who said um, about Keizan, to regard all people with warm affection, to become the friend of the common people, to enter the realm of the absolute with them, and to share joy. These are the characteristics of a true person of religion. And that was how he was paying homage to Kazan as a manifestation of these characteristics. So, in the Soto Shu, in the Soto school, we tend to see Dogen Zenji as the stern father and Kazan as the well, compassionate, warm mother, which is kind of interesting. It's the school to have both. And so I would like to offer that in, in this Sangha, in this practice place, we're aspiring to both as skillfully as we can. And I say this remembering my own koan back in 2012, establishing what was known as the Marblehead Zen Center back then. Inexplicably, we landed, I landed in Marblehead after San Francisco. I went from San Francisco, not just to Marblehead, but Old Town Marblehead, <laughs> this little street where we had this, this Zendo and this big yellow house that was built in 1735, I believe very creaky, filled with ghosts. Anyway, I remember at that time, my koan was how to uphold something so specific as Soto Zen for these poor unsuspecting people of Marblehead <laughs> who were the beginning. They were the beginning of founding the Zen Center without really even knowing what a Zen Center was how to uphold something so specific as Soto Zen without falling into dogma and fundamentalism. And I feel like this is what Kazan 
and Dogen offer us these two examples. And this is the forever column. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is my segue into how perfectly the timing of this to introducing the Coinos. <laughs> now, this is not to say that one of the Enos is going to be the stern Dogen. It's going to be the compassionate Kaysan. Okay, we're not doing that. <laughs> They're both already embodying, I think, with certain tendencies toward one over the other and already recognizing the problems. If you lean too far into compassion without some strictness, it can cause confusion. I don't know if we've so much leaned too far. I've done this too far into strictness and people run fleeing, <laughs> alienated. So this, but this is the edge of the Eno. Now, the Eno is the, we have translated Eno, this Japanese word Eno, as bearer of joy. That's beautiful. That leans on the side of Keizan. It's fine, but we can't have just that. It's not just, well, it is the bearer of joy, but what do we mean by that? Bearing joy. <laughs> um, so, um, also the Eno, I-N-O, and we have a glossary on our website. Go to it, Zen Glossary. You can go to it and, and you know, read about it. So the Eno trains the Doan the people who lead the chanting, the kokyo, the people who ring the bells, the doan. Also, the assembly is training the assembly. And when you put your hands in shashu, when you come into gasho, um, and it's meant to be support, how to, how to uphold the forms of this lineage with a warm heart. So I'm checking, I can check in the camera mm -hmm. here to see if those behind me are on the page or if they're still thrashing around, if anybody's helping them, you know, if you're newer to the practice here. Um, but the Enos are responsible for caring for the Zendo form, so there is a strictness in that. We're looking to you for guidance. I remember the Eno, when I was a new practitioner at San Francisco Zen Center, who I feel didn't yet understand this. I was trained in dance and choreography. In some ways, this morning I was thinking about my sister who came to visit, the one family member who came to visit during a Doan Real practice. I think Chikan, you were there. Yeah, you remember her? She's the one who died a few months ago. Didi. And she very openly, you know, came to visit and then came to the Zendo and she sat Sasan, but she was there for a toe on real practice and she told me afterwards she was horrified by how much I was obsessing on, I don't remember what it was, do you remember? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad you don't remember. Maybe it was Gasho or I don't know. She was like, what? And she was a hospice nurse, so that was interesting. And she did have a, you know, an appreciation for spiritual practice even before she was received this diagnosis, the terminal diagnosis. But anyway, I, you know, I think about this, and I was thinking this morning about all this, and I was thinking about how it's like, you know, it's like choreography. If I know what to do, then I can experience in a performance, I can experience the unity with my other, with other dancers. And that's where the freedom is in a so-called performance. 
you just you've trained and you've practiced and you let go of all of that hopefully you know as an audience member i never want to see technique on stage i want to see a lived experience and so this for me is about all the training getting it right so that there can be freedom of connection and oh, a bunny just leaped mm -hmm. just, i just watched a bunny with a white tail <laughs> just going across that field like that just like that bunny freely running across the green grass and the mist that's the feeling of service that's what we're, what we're aiming for in in um service is feeling unity with all beings and especially with each other what it feels like and i can see it on zoom i feel it every single morning for those of you who practice in the morning on zoom it's a very formal practice in the morning and that ending shashuba before we sit down for the check-in i feel the unity i feel your training but I, and i feel the training but i also just feel like happy for the world that's what i feel happy for the world there's some upright bodhisattvas about to go out into it so so this eno at san francisco zen center at the time when i was i was a new practitioner and i was ready i was like give me the training <laughs> and so i was late for like the only time ever i think in my entire training at San Francisco Zen Center. And this is being recorded. Maybe if someone from there hears it, they can call me on it. But to my recognition, to my rec no. recollection. Yes, that's what we're It was, that was the only time. And I think about this when some of you arrive late. I think about this every time. At San Francisco Zen Center, the form is if you're late, they don't let you in, or you're not supposed to go in. And they actually put a brown curtain in front meaning don't come in. And we might experience that, those of us who are, no, we won't experience because we won't be late, but maybe you'll notice that that's, that's what happens. And it's because it's intense to walk into a zendo that's so still with so many people, and then, you know, there you are just, you know, kind of messing with that. Um, so they, they go on the side of, no, you're late, but there'll be a time to come in, but you have to sit in the gaitan. And so then they'll open the curtain and then you can go in. But this one day, the Eno didn't put the curtain up and I didn't know. And I was just happy. I was like, oh. And I started to walk in and the Eno sits right in the seat where the Eno is sitting now. So the Eno might do this to you if you're lucky. <laughs> like this. Or maybe a little like. <laughs> or like. <laughs> but this will happen. And that's a kindness. We talked about this, right? The mudra of stop. What are you doing? With kindness, you know, stop. <laughs> and, uh, but the Eno did this to me and I was like, oh, okay, and I stood there. Or I must have gone to sit or I don't know what happened. But eventually I did go in. And later at breakfast, I was serving myself. You'll see how this is. The Eno happened to be across from me serving himself and I was serving myself. And he leaned over and he said, I'm really sorry I had to do that. And I was like, no, what? Thank you. And it was kind of confusing. I felt like he was backtracking. I was like, no, ma'am, that's your job. Thank you. I appreciated it. But it is true. Not everybody's weird like me in that way. So this is, you know, <clears throat> maybe this is what I'm learning over time. I got Dogen's sternness. I was like, yeah. 
But it's true that in order to, the gate has to widen. So, you know, for people to find our way, and especially American Zen, Americans were like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> that could be the first that's our conditioning is so strong that how do you meet that with sternness and compassion? You know, because that is an offering to us bumbling Americans. So Emily and Chise have accepted the invitation to be co-ina. I've asked both of them to inhabit the role because of where they are in their practice, because of where the Sangha is in its communal, in our communal practice, that this, this will be deeply, and already is deeply, um, supportive and grounding, anchoring for the Sangha. So I've asked Chise through the summer to occupy that cushion, and for Emily to occupy this cushion, to be in the role, excuse me, the voice of the Kokio leading the chanting. And the chise will be the voice, kind of the conventional voice of just as you did just now. Um, please be seated for the Dharma talk, that kind of thing. So that conventionally, if you're new, you know what's, what's next. You know, you're not looking around in confusion. So this is um, one of the roles on the ground is, you know, supporting the space. There, the hall, the meditation hall managers, uh, they're also the giver of assignments, Eno, the giver of assignments, which, by the way, it may be connected with the phrase karma dana, which I'm very interested in. Karma dana, karma, volitional activity, and dana, generosity. I believe those are the two, what those two mean in this instance. But the, the spirit of karma dana is stopping the influx of karmic activity. This is very interesting. This is what the Eno is doing for you. Stopping the influx of karmic activity. You're now entering the Zendo. Leave worldly affairs behind. Leave your worldly activities behind. Don't just walk in. <laughs> Come in and shashu, out of respect, not just for this, but for you yourself, a person of true religion. If that freaks you out, a person of true spirituality, whatever. But a person who's, um, you know, committed to awakening, if I can say that. Awakening to the truth of interconnectedness. Okay, and so, the Eno is one of one or two combined of, of the six officers in the Soto Temple, the Roku Chiji, along with the work leader, the Shika, the director, and then the Shuso is also a part of this, the head student, Chikan, whose seat for now in the space through the summer is right here. The work leader's seat is right here. Okay? <laughs> Um, and this is, this is for the summer. This is our summer arrangement in this practice place. Okay. So now, if you're in a... The, the, the Enos also are training new people in these positions and also encouraging you, newer people, 
in taking a seat at the bell, experiencing the self through the Dharma position of dawn, of holding space in that way, of maybe leading chanting, of maybe being a server during Oriyoki, during Sashin. Or if you have questions like, what happens, you know, what is Kinhin, or what's that mudra you do during Kinhin? These are your, your people. <laughs> so as we go into the, you know, into tea time, into the schedule now, we're, we're about to, um, at the end of the Dharma talk, we'll stand, offer bows, chant the Pali refuges. The work leader will lead us in soji. Um, and then we'll have tea together. That gives us time to set out tea and some snacks, which is a very important part of our practice. This is the Kazan part of our practice, <laughs> the kind of warm, you know, let's hang out time. You know, let's have a time to integrate. Let's have some space, not be so formal, uh, to integrate in a more relaxed way, a more conventionally relaxed way. Uh, this practice. So, and so at that time during tea, you know, that might be a time to inquire of Emily and Chise of some of these forms and some of these practices. You know, and by the way, the, the role of the Eno co-shared in this bearer of joy so the joy of upholding forms of ceremony, forms and ceremonies, is as we were talking about yesterday <laughs> in the retreat, the difference between burden and love. Like if, you know, this practice of substituting, I've shared many times my own family, substituting the word burden for the word love. For instance, my dad or my mom or my sister who just died. And me, the arising, even though I don't say it. I don't want to be a burden. Do you get that in your family? Have you heard that? A little bit? Some people? I don't want to be a burden. When my mom said that, I, I finally realized, and I said, Mom, you know, please, instead of being worried about you being a burden, could you see it as an opportunity for me to just simply love you and have a chance to express that? And then, of course, within that, because we know, remember that class series, Love is a Practice? We know love is a practice. It's an action. It's a practice. And one of those practices is boundaries. You know what I was thinking this morning? What is love? What is love? It's a great practice, this practice of love. So the Eno, in this bearer of joy, which we were also talking about in the context of racial justice, resistance, joy as resistance, you know, resisting the status quo of things like white supremacy. You know, and joy and rest and love as checkpoints to where we in the struggle are falling into anger and actually hatred. How helpful is that? 
So I see the you know the Colino is kind of in this realm, you know, of staying connected with the joy of upholding the forms and ceremonies, the specificity of this lineage, without forgetting that the this upholding forms and ceremonies is an earlier, is a literal translation of the pure precept. I vow to avoid all evil. So you're helping others to avoid evil. <laughs> all of us, you know, the evil of, again, of karmadana, of the opportunity, as we just heard in the Ehekoso this morning. Um, although our past evil karma has greatly accumulated, it's pretty harsh. But Dogen's basically saying, you know, you're practicing. It's okay. Just keep practicing. Karma may be relentless. You know, our delusion may be relentless. But so too can our vow and our practice. So the co-enos are here to help you with that. Okay? So thank you so much. And thank you all. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is made possible by donations from listeners like you. For more information or to donate, please go to www.zencenternorthshore.org. Thank you.